Welcome to episode 391 with my guest, Meredith Aaron. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, and there's normally a bunch more shit that I tell you about the show and the website and what the show is, but I am packing my bags and leaving tomorrow for three weeks to go travel and record listeners and interesting guests. I'm going to Ireland, or as I've been told, it's pronounced Ireland, and uh, then onto Croatia, and I'm super excited. So I'm going to keep it brief. I want to tell you about uh, one of our sponsors for today, The Great Courses Plus. I've talked to you about them before. I learned so much about my upcoming trip to Ireland by watching lectures on the Irish identity. That's the name of the, the lectures. I told you about the the great uh, series of lectures they have on cognitive behavioral therapy, and uh, and I believe the last time I told you about the one uh, called forensic history, crimes, frauds, and scandals. And let's let's be honest: if we were to pick three words to describe the listenership and what we think about and how we feel about ourselves, it would be crimes, frauds, and scandals. Uh, go sign up for The Great Courses Plus today. I'm already getting great feedback from listeners who are doing it. They're loving the uh, the lectures that they're getting into. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash mental, and you get a free month of unlimited access to all their lectures. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash mental for your free one-month trial thegreatcoursesplus.com slash mental. Of course, one also gives some love to betterhelp.com, who is a great supporter of this show and is also help, uh, helping support the recordings in, uh, in Europe. It is a great way to do therapy. I love it. Um, I do it by video once a week with Donna. She's awesome. You're probably tired of hearing me talk about Donna, but you know what? That's okay. I'll talk to Donna about that. I'll, boy, is that meta. Uh, go to betterhelp.com slash mental, fill out a questionnaire, and then they'll match you with a betterhelp.com counselor. And you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you and you need to be over 18. Okay. Right before the interview, I just want to read one happy moment. This was filled out by a guy who calls himself puppies really make everything better. I couldn't agree more. Uh, his happy moment. Hey, Paul, I saw you for the first time in one of your Patreon videos. I had never seen your face until that point. And when I did, my first thought was, that looks like a face I'd punch. <laughs> I don't know why. You've been nothing but compassionate and caring in my eyes. You must look similar to someone I hated as a kid or something. But last week, I saw the photos you posted with Grady, that's the puppy that my ex just uh, uh, adopted, and the pure bliss in your face made all those weird deep-down impulses for violence melt away. I felt sincere happiness for a face that once, for whatever reason, brought up hatred within me. There's a part of me inside that I don't want anyone to know about because it's weird and gross and lame and people will hate me. 
was so hard to be on the planet. Just doom, people-pleasing, dread, silent, invisible, just wailing, stuck in the grip of the obsession, derealization, depersonalization, the suicidal ideation. I was so embarrassed and so full of shame. If I don't get help and get what I need to get, you know, I did some horrible, horrible things. And I'm not going to be here much longer. God, I wish I could go back and undo them, but I can't. So snipers would shoot in our sides. My father was a notorious pimp in Boston. I can't do this anymore. It was kind of like Scarface. You can change somebody's life just by listening. To vulnerability uh, comes healing. It felt like I'd been holding a sword and shield and I dropped them. And to this day, I have never had a better night's sleep. I started crying in a job interview saying, <laughs> and I was like, LA is hard, man. LA is so hard. <laughs> and I, I didn't get that job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with Meredith Aaron, who I met uh, because you handle the t-shirt orders, and uh, I've used a couple of different vendors before, and you are so fucking on top of it, and I'm just so glad I, I found you. But we had a conversation when we met to talk about the businessy shit. And you shared a little bit of your story with me. And, we, and we've and we talked a little bit uh, between then about some things that you encounter being a business person and also being the customer support person for your business and dealing with trolls and kind of out of control, quote, social justice warriors. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that you deal with so much of it uh, every day. Can can you give me some snapshots of, of what it's... And we're going to talk about uh, Meredith's personal life and childhood a little bit as well. But um, So pretty much every morning, um, my husband, who's also my business partner, he and I wake up to like our phone's lock screen, and it's just like a torrent of like trollish comments that have been posted to our Instagram and Facebook. And of course, it's not just those kinds of comments. We get more positive ones than negative ones, but there's a lot of negative ones. Um, and it's frustrating because a lot of times, like on a rational level, I know that this behavior is not about us and that these people have their own problems and that's why they're doing what they're doing. But it still feels like we're being attacked by these strangers and we can't really even strike back because they just can, you know, attack us on social media and disappear into the ether and there's no consequences for doing it. Like a typical thing that I'll wake up to is like a comment. And this is like, I'm literally like pulling this off the top of my head because this was one of those that got posted the other day, but it said something like, um, if I ever saw anybody wearing a shirt like this, I would kill them and myself. Why would you leave a comment like that on somebody's Instagram account? If I see an ad I don't like on social media, I just scroll along. I don't leave nasty yeah. comments about a product that doesn't interest me. What are, what are some other things that you uh, experience? Um, well, I mean, in addition to like the trolls, you know, we'll have, um, it's not really a secret that like we're LA based creative people. Obviously our politics are going to skew kind of to the left. And so we do a lot of like fundraising for charitable progressive organizations. And we'll have people calling us out that we're like just cap- trying to capitalize on a progressive cause and that we're fake liberals and that, you know, our business is a sham and all of this stuff. The and- far left is so awful yeah and self-righteous it's infuriating and meanwhile you know we've raised thousands of dollars every year for all of these great organizations my husband and i will go and spend our free time canvassing for progressive candidates and i can be like you know sweating through the desert in palmdale with my husband going door to door trying to canvass for a progressive candidate and i've got people on my instagram literally as i'm doing this commenting that i'm a fake liberal and i'm like 
you're sitting at home on Facebook calling me a fake liberal. I'm actually out trying to do things that, you know, outliving my values. What is it that they think is fake? Um, I think that just because we are a business that they're like anti-capitalism or something. Um, we're not progressive enough. Um, the word We use the words women and ladies on our website interchangeably just because um, when you sell things online, you want to do what's called search engine optimization, which basically just means you want to use words that people would use mm-hmm. on like Google to find a product. And so we use both words because people use both words on searches. But I've gotten like countless emails from people saying, well, the word ladies is a tool of the patriarchy and you're a misogynist and you're not a real feminist. And I'm like, I'm a woman business owner. Most of my staff as women like what do you want from me (laughs) like i have to run a business and make a living this is my job and i can't not do things that are going to drive traffic to my website you know there there are real issues with uh vocabulary and word choices but the people that are really fighting the unnecessary fight on those from their laptop just annoy the fuck out of me and what do you think it's their yelling at themselves because they're not getting off their ass? I don't know what it is that's going on in their heads, but it's definitely frustrating because I feel like, why are you wasting your time attacking a progressive small business when, if this is so important to you, you could be out, you know, volunteering for Planned Parenthood, canvassing for a candidate that you hope to see get into office, you know, raising funds for the ACLU. Like, there's other things you could be doing with your time than yelling at me that I'm a misogynist because I've used the word ladies. So what would you like to talk about? Um, I mean, I guess I wanted to talk about, you know, some of this trolling behavior and how difficult it is to deal with and how it is if you have the kind of job where you are in the public eye and you have strangers commenting on your work all day and how difficult that is. And then also, you know, dealing with customers that can be unreasonable, too. Um And it's hard, even on a rational level, to be like, well, I know that this problem is about this person and not about me, but it still feels like they're attacking me. And and it's still negative energy. Yeah, and I can't really attack back. I mean, sometimes I'm tempted to, but I know it's not a good idea or a good use of my time, and so I try not to do that. But the temptation is there, because otherwise... It's like these people are just kind of breaking this like social contract in polite society that we're not going to like randomly attack strangers for no real reason. And they're doing this and there's no real consequences for it. And so that can be really frustrating to deal with. Yeah, because even though you intellectually know this person is filtering reality through their issues and it's not about me, you are still having to read that and take it in. And it's like your central nervous system doesn't know the difference. I, I talked recently on the podcast about when I read um a comment or get an email that says something you know i've listened to your podcast for a couple of years or whatever but my stomach drops yeah and 99% of the time it's not a big deal but i want to read you um an email that i got recently uh dear paul this is very out of the ordinary for me And I have the feeling it's not. Uh, So I just want to make sure you know how much this irritates me. I am not one that leaves reviews or comments on things. Hell, I don't have a Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, or anything, but I do listen to a bunch of podcasts, which is why I am here leaving this comment. Just to give you a brief history of myself... Um, and then they talk about their, you know, having seizures, uh, diagnosed with general ep- epilepsy, um, 
they're an accountant, their life is stressful, they're depressed, um, they've moved back in with their parents, uh, and they, and they're feeling miserable. Mm-hmm. Any, and, and as if this somehow is responsible mm-hmm. and is the is the green flag the green light to to go ahead and write what they wrote mm-hmm. anyway that is not why I'm writing I'm writing because I found your podcast on Google Music a couple months back which I pay for so I can listen to whatever I want including almost all podcasts and started listening from the very beginning and had told a couple people to listen to it because I thought they would benefit from it well the other day I went to listen to the next episode which I think had gone I think I had gone through about 40 or so, only to find out that your greedy ass put up a fucking paywall, question mark. I was fucking pissed. First of all, because I already pay for Google Music, I'm not going to pay for another service just to listen to the few greedy bastards that can't get their shit together or make money from Google listeners. Anyway, I thought I would try one of the newer episodes, even though... There was about a six-year gap between the last show I heard and the oldest one available. I listened to almost the whole thing and then just gave up because you sounded, and then this is in caps, fucking awful. You went from one-hour episodes of you talking with someone for the majority of the time to two-hour episodes of you talking to someone for part of it, and the rest is you just complaining about yourself. This show sucks now, exclamation point. Wow. <laughs> Signed CSW. Wow. I mean, the tone of it is I've gotten, can't even begin to try to count how many emails I've gotten with a tone like that, where it's just like, oh, I've been to your website and I like your work, but here's all the reasons I hate you. And I'm just like, well, why don't you just move on with your day and not contact me then if you hate me? Like, right. why are you doing this? There's nothing constructive no. in that. There was nothing constructive in that. I get constructive, but emails. Mm-hmm. And 99% of them are lovely and help me. And mm-hmm. the tone is understanding and, and they're putting themselves in my shoes. And, uh, as difficult as it is to read the word but, <laughs> um, I'm glad that they have emailed me and they've really helped me. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even though I know that that person is sick. I want to f- destroy them. I know exactly what you're saying right now. And I get that feeling 100% because I feel it countless times every day. And I do have employees that handle our customer service. So it's not like I'm even the only one dealing with this. We have people that are so nasty that like my employees just give up and they're like, I don't even know what to do anymore. This person is being so mean and I'm trying so hard to help them. And it gets escalated to near my partner because it's yeah. so out of control. Some of the th- I want to hear some of the things that you would like to write back, but you have <laughs> And what I wanted to write back to this person was, I am so sorry that you have wasted your zero dollars donating to my podcast, and I've disappointed you. Um, I am so sorry that I'm not doing the podcast the way that you want. And if you wouldn't mind, would you let me know every week in detail how I'm doing if you can bear to listen to me complaining about myself for two hours, you're, you are my lifeline <laughs> at this point because you know the truth and you seem like you're in a good place. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have countless things I've wanted to say to people. You know, I've wanted to say to people like, 
oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're here because the little voice in my head that's always telling me I'm not good enough can finally have an afternoon off now that you're here. I'll let them know. You know, there's stuff like that or the people that are calling me, you know, a fake progressive. I just want to respond with, well, here's all the things I've done to live my values this week. What have you done this week? And that's what you would like your to. Cause? That's, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so many things I want to say or, you know, the people that complain that we're, you know, being capitalist and commercializing things. They're doing it on Facebook. So they're on Facebook, the most corporate thing in the world, telling us that we're bad people for doing something commercial and i'm like you're on facebook what is it you do for a living that's so morally superior like there's lots of things i want to say to these people but i feel like it's better to not engage and so i tend to not engage but i've it's hard yeah sitting on that steam Mm -hmm. because it it feels like steam just being contained Mm -hmm. by me knowing the right thing to do is to not react yeah um and there's a subtler one that i that i want to send which is Put yourself in my shoes. How would you feel if you received that email? Mm -hmm. But it is not my job to teach the world how to act. And that is a form of insanity, is thinking that you should be teaching people who haven't asked for help. Oh, yeah, I agree. I think that not engaging is the best course of action, but it's definitely hard to do it all day, every day, when you just feel like you're being attacked all day, every day. And I mean, I deal with tons of other businesses because of what I do. So I deal with tons of vendors and I see vendors that are unethical and immoral and sleazy and greedy and whatever you want to call them. And we really try and run an ethical business. We pay all of our employees a living wage. We raise money for charity. We try to put out a good product. If our customers are unhappy with an experience, we try really hard to make it right. Like we really do care about doing the right thing. And I know some of it is like my perfectionist tendencies, but when I'm being attacked for being the opposite of what I actually am, it's really frustrating to just be like, it's not worth defending myself. It's not worth engaging with this person. This is their problem, not my problem. And just try and like move on from it. And I know it's not just me because I see my employees get the same way where they're, they feel like they're being attacked too from some of these people. And so I know I'm not the only one, but it's definitely like one of the hardest parts of my job is dealing with that behavior from people. Yeah. And I feel like for so many of us, there is a positive voice in our head and there's a negative voice in our head that was usually implanted in childhood. Mm-hmm. And that person, and, and through working on ourselves, we have managed to turn the volume down mm-hmm. on the mean voice. And it's like that person steps into our head and cranks the mean voice up to 10. And for a brief moment, we feel like they are right. And I don't know if this person thinks that I'm getting money from Google Play, which I don't. <laughs> right. Um, it, it, well, not that that would even justify it, but. It sounds like he's begrudging you making a living, which is unreasonable. Like he gets paid at his job. Would he like you to show up and be like, I think you should pay whoever this person is, you know, 20% less? Probably not. So I don't understand why people think it's okay to do it to somebody in my position or your position, but they do it all the time. So maybe I should say, um, go be an accountant for free and then I will weigh in on how shitty I think you are uh, whenever I come in and stand by your desk. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it'll get you what you want, but yeah, I mean, there's a difference between like what these people deserve to hear and whether it's worth responding and it's not worth responding. And I don't even think it'll make a difference. I think some people just go through life behaving this way with everybody and nothing you say to them is going to make any difference. And they are usually really lonely and have no tools to deal and they're and they're sick. They're not doing it because they want to hurt us. They're doing it because, in my opinion, they are full of steam. Yeah. And we are the closest tool to let the steam out. 
I agree. I do think that that's what's going on, especially these people that leave these nasty comments on our social media and are trying to like destroy our business. And I've had people just write things on our social media accounts that are just not true, like just made up stories. Like they'll say that they were a customer and they bought something that was awful. And then we look up their name and they're not a customer and we reach out to them. And we're like, hey, what happened? Can you give us an order number? You know, we can't find you in our records. And they don't respond because they were lying. But it's like, I think the part that's really hard and probably hard for you too is the lack of consequences for this behavior. That's what's so frustrating. Yes. Like you want there to be some sort of consequence for this so that they don't feel free to do this stuff to everybody they come in contact with. But there's no real way to have that happen. Somebody should create a website called The Customer Isn't Always Right <laughs> and then post screen grabs of some of the shit that people say. Yeah, I've thought about actually like going through all of the nasty comments that we get because we send an email to our customers every week. And it's usually something kind of fun and content focused where we're not really, you know, just buy stuff. But we're usually, you know, telling about something fun or interesting that we think they would like. And I've thought about doing a whole post of just like screenshots of nasty comments people have left and my like snarky replies that I would like to give these people that I don't because I'm like, it's not a good idea. But it's not. It's but in it's, my head. <laughs> and it feels so much like that is going to be the solution to it. And on the few occasions I have uh, bitten back, mm -hmm. it has never brought me any peace. No, it's never a good idea. Why do you think that is in our head that that seems like it's going to help? And part of your childhood, and this might be a good time to segue mm -hmm. to it, is the stuff that happened to you um, from your dad. Mm -hmm. um, are you comfortable talking yeah, about yeah, the yeah, we can physical talk about that stuff. Yeah. violence? Yeah. Um, so I think the reason, back to your question, and I'll segue into that, um, why it is in our heads, it sounds like a good idea, but in reality, it's not a good idea. Um, reality, it's not a good idea because it's just not going to make a difference. It's not going to change that person's mind. It's not going to make you feel better. It's probably not even going to affect them in any way. Like there's nothing you're going to say to this person that's going to make them really look at their own behavior. And I think part of why that triggers somebody like me a lot, and maybe you a lot too, um, is I grew up with pretty abusive parents, and it was like kind of pretty abusive. <laughs> yeah, Meredith, which she shared before we started rolling, and some of this stuff she's not comfortable sharing. Um, one of the worst childhoods I've ever heard. Oh, um, okay. Um, well, maybe. Um, but yeah, I think that it, it harkens back to that experience of somebody behaving badly and breaking the social contract of polite behavior and not having any consequences for it. Like my dad could beat the crap out of me and he's not going to, no one's, I couldn't hit him back. I'm a small child. He's a grown man. You know, there's no one else that was going to do anything about his behavior. So he just gets to do it and there's nothing to stop him and there's no penalty for it. And so when you're in the adult world and you see people behaving badly, even if they're not physically attacking you, they're still attacking you in a way. And you feel like you can't hit back. I mean, at the time, it was, I was a little kid. And now it's because, well, I'm trying to run a business and be professional. And it's not going to be useful to engage with these people. But it still is the same experience of this person gets to attack you. And there's no disincentive for them to continue attacking you or other people. And it's really frustrating to just try to brush it off. Yeah. Do you think it's the central nervous system receiving that threat and just going into into overdrive when when we get a troll or we get something else and it's it's like the lizard part of our brain is trying to protect us um because we intellectually know the frontal part of our brain mm -hmm. knows this person can't hurt me although with you they could hurt your business i mean they certainly try to i have people who like leave 
you know, try to leave damaging comments that aren't true on our social media. And they're trying to dissuade people from patronizing our business. And so, yeah, they are literally trying to like do harm. Um, we try and, you know, get those things removed as quickly as possible because they're just not true statements. But, um, yeah, I think that all of us, I mean, just people in general, when we're being attacked, even if it's just online, like, I think we still feel it. I think for those of us that have backgrounds like mine or yours, maybe, um, there's just something a little bit harder about it to shrug off because I have a lot of friends in my industry and yeah, they get annoyed with this stuff, but I don't see it affecting them the way it affects me. Um, and even with like my employees, I don't see a lot of them. I mean, it does bother them. It's not that they're immune to it, but I don't think it affects them on the level that it affects me. And my husband has a similar background. It affects him too. Um, and like really our only solution is hire more people and have, you know, more hours of coverage on those things because our employees are only there, you know, nine to six or whatever during the week. It's not a 24-7 thing, but people are trolling our social media accounts 24-7. So someone has to be looking after those things when no one's in the office. Um, do they get paid time and a half for trolling after five o'clock? Oh, I'm paying the trolls. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, you're only memories of your father correct mm -hmm. me if i'm wrong are of him hitting you yeah pretty much um like the only verbal memory i have was his catchphrase which was a rhetorical question it was always like do you want it again do you want it again while pounding on me and it was rhetorical he wasn't like literally asking a question it was just what he would say while beating on me but that's it i have no positive memories of him and i don't really have any memories of him other than that can you talk about your mom as much as you are comfortable yeah so um I think, and this isn't unusual in situations like mine, if you have one parent who's really physically abusive, your other parent becomes the good parent by default, even if they're not great. Um, it's just a comparison thing when you're a little kid, like your physical safety is the thing that you're most concerned with. And so your emotional well-being, you're, you don't have the sophistication to understand that that's also being harmed by what you're experiencing. Um, and so my mom, I think that she's just a person that has a lot of problems and it was difficult growing up with her. Um, I kind of became her best friend, support system, therapist. Um, I kind of felt like her co-hostage a lot of the times in our lives together. Um, everything was like, well, it's just you and me versus the world. But in reality, looking back as an adult, I have a much more critical view of the kinds of things that were going on. Um, you know, picking on me about my appearance constantly, um, helping, having, basically putting me in a position to help her raise my brother. Um, lots of different boyfriends around every other week. There was like a new guy. It was just a lot of chaos and dysfunction and instability, um, a lot of suicide threats, um, a lot of active eating disorder behavior that was on display. Um, and so at the time, it felt flattering to me because she treated me like a peer instead of her daughter. And so it made me feel like, oh, I'm so mature and sophisticated. But looking back as an adult now, I'm horrified by the, kind of, the kinds of things that she did when I was a kid. Uh, are you comfortable sharing the bar thing? Yeah, um, I've, I don't remember exactly how old I was. I couldn't have been even 15. I had to be like maybe 13, 14 tops. But she would take me with her to like singles night and put me in like heels and a bunch of makeup and clo like her clothing. So I didn't look like a middle school kid. I looked like I was 25. And she would have me come out and help her pick up guys. Um, and so at the time, yeah, it felt like, oh, you're so mature and sophisticated that you can do this. But as an adult, I look at that and I'm like, that's really messed up. Like you shouldn't be putting your young child in that situation. And it was like simultaneously. Well, hold on. Was it free drinks for <laughs> ladies? You know, I don't remember. This was a really long time ago. I don't, I don't think I was drinking, but, um, but I did have grown men trying to talk to me and I think they would have been horrified if they knew they were talking to a child. They did not know they were talking to a little kid. 
Um, Because I didn't look or talk or sound like a little kid because I'd had like the weight of the world on me from like the time I was a toddler. So talking to me was not like talking to a kid, but I was a kid. What else are you comfortable sharing, uh, experiencing? Um, I mean, I... And I and I would also like to talk about how these things have affected you today because I don't want this to to seem like we're shitting, um, just shitting on people who have hurt us. I, one of the things I try to do with this podcast is to connect the trauma to stuff we battle today, so that we can be more mindful not only of of, of our behavior but things that. Um, we struggle with um, mean voices in our head mm-hmm. and ways to maybe begin to to heal that. Right. Um, well, I mean, I think that some of the things that I struggle with as an adult that I can look back and clearly see how these things are connected. I'm kind of a workaholic. I'm a perfectionist. Um, I think work does some things for me that I guess, I mean, I don't have like, I'm not into like drugs or heavy drinking or any of those kinds of things. I've never really struggled with that, but work kind of fills that hole for me. Um, and things that I find so attractive about it. I mean, for one, it's a distraction because you don't have to think too much about how you're feeling if you're just constantly doing. So, um, work has that allure. Um, the it's also because I run the business, it gives me a sense of control over my environment, which is very attractive to me. Um, and the other part that I like about it is that there's an objective measure of achievement there. So like growing up, my mom's always like telling me I was fat. And basically the subtext was like, you're fat. And no one's ever going to love you and you're never going to be good enough. But it, with my professional life, there's like a dollars and cents figure that I can attach to what I'm doing. And so I can like kind of measure my self-worth in this very objective numeric way. I think that's why I like video games. Yeah. Yeah. And so I know that like that's an element of it for me, um, but it's very hard to like, I don't, I don't know how I would stop. That's just part of our culture too, is I think workaholism is more celebrated than frowned upon. So it really it is it hard to stop. Uh, I always say, I wish when they laud somebody on the cover of a magazine for being a billionaire, they ask them, what's your child's favorite movie? Name two mm-hmm. of their friends. Because doesn't that, shouldn't that be included in the picture of quote unquote success? Yeah. I mean, I think it would be hard to have all of it. I mean, I don't have children. My husband and I aren't really interested in having kids. Um, but this is like my thing that I spend all my time on and my energy on. And in some ways it's great. You know, I get to do a creative job and make a good living at it, which I do like, but I can definitely see some of the parts of it that aren't necessarily good for me and ways that like my background kind of drive some of what I have going on as an adult um, and like the perfectionism and wanting to make sure that all of our customers are happy, even though intellectually, I know some people just aren't going to be happy no matter how hard I try. It's still there. Whenever I send Meredith an email asking about, you know, what what would our options be if we made this t-shirt or if I created this product and like within hours I get the most detailed, researched response, and I and I always think to myself, when does she sleep? <laughs> I don't. I mean, I, I do, but I probably don't sleep as much as I should. Does this take a toll on your marriage and your friendships? Um, I, I don't know about that. Um, I mean, I have friends, and I do see them, probably. I don't know if I see my friends yearly. more or less. You see them yearly. Yeah, I see them sometimes. I don't know if I see my friends more or less than the average person. Um, I also live in the LA area, and I know not everyone listening will get this, but Los Angeles area is a very spread out metropolitan area. So you can have friends that live in the metro area, and it still takes like an hour to see them. So that also can make it hard to see those people on a regular basis. Um, 
but I do try to see my friends. My husband and I work together, so we're together literally 24-7, and most of the time we love it. Like, we get along very well. We're really close, so it works for us. But if we do have um, arguments in our relationship, it's always about work. We don't really argue about anything else. What are some of the topics or moments, if you can think of, where there was uh, intimacy between the two of you? Not sexual, but... um being vulnerable with each other, expressing your feelings, maybe working through something as a as a team as opposed to taking sides and trying to win an argument, which uh, I think a lot of couples make the mistake of yeah, doing. I think Matt, Matt is my husband. I think he and I are really lucky to have each other because we get along so well. And even though we're both very flawed, we're also very self-aware about our flaws. So even if we are in a moment acting out and not doing something that we're very proud of, like we're very quick to apologize and try and make amends. And we understand each other. Like he knows when I'm acting out, it's not about him. It's about a situation that's setting me off and vice versa. And so we try to be really mindful of these things. We try not to act out, but none of us are perfect. Um, and so we can get, you know, most of the time we do get along really well and we're a pretty united front. But even if something goes wrong, usually we'll like take a beat to decompress and come back to each other and try and dissect what happened calmly and compassionately and, wow. you know, make it's it, a, how, you know, smooth things over with one another. I, I, and what does that look like um, in, in detail, uh, the acting out? What is that? Yelling? Um, I mean, silent treatment? Yeah silent treatment um he tends more towards yelling than i do i'm not much of a yeller um but yeah i mean i can be sometimes passive aggressive when i'm mad which is not very attractive behavior i know i try not to do it but sometimes i'm mad and i'm not going to yell so instead like it leaks out in other ways um uh you know or he said things to me that like you know oh you just don't care about and he knows it's not true you don't care about our business because you're doing x and he knows it's not true but in the moment he's just frustrated and mad um and so, yeah, sometimes like we'll say things we regret or just kind of be jerks. Um, but we're usually pretty quick to try and make up and apologize and do better and make our relationship work because we're really close with each other and it's like our most important relationship. How did you get to that place? Because that's a place that certainly people that had a childhood like yours don't get to <laughs> intuitively. Um, my husband and I have very similar kinds of backgrounds. We both had pretty terrible childhoods. And so we talk to each other pretty openly about those experiences and how they've affected us and how it leaks out in behavior that we even have in the present. And so I think it's easier for us to be compassionate towards one another because we understand one another in a way that other people might not understand us. So I think that helps, but I don't but know. How did you get to that place of, of even understanding it? Because for most people, they just blindly project the anger that was projected onto them as as children um, i'm not all I'm not all people i don't know i mean i think there's a lot of self we're both just very self-aware people um and so ne neither one of us ever was under any illusion that we had like happy childhoods or anything like that um and so we've always kind of been aware that these things affect us um and so we've always been able to talk to each other about it but then like i don't have a relationship with either of my parents um i kept contact with my mother when i was a little older and after ending you know getting out of that relationship i had a lot of time to really really reflect on like why can't i be in this relationship anymore and what effect did it have on me um and then kind of going through that that also put me in a position to even have more self-awareness about um you know my less desirable qualities and try and rein them in as much as i reasonably can and did you I think you said earlier uh, when we were talking that you had made a list of what you would be um, 
the the bad aspects of your relationship with your mom because you were going back and forth about should I cut contact with her or not? Yeah, for a long time. I mean, even as an adult, um, I knew that my mom's behavior wasn't great. Um, I blocked out a lot of it because it kind of had to to maintain a relationship with her. But things eventually came to a head with some of the things that she had been doing. Um, she got me into some legal messes and financial messes, and it just ended up costing me a lot of money, and that was sort of the last straw for me. Um, but at the time, I knew I was angry, and I was afraid yeah. that... Don't fuck with a workaholic's money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um, at the time, I was afraid that I was just angry, and that I would eventually cool off and go back to the relationship. And in my mind at the time, I was just like, I can't go back because this is a pattern, and nothing will change if I go back. There's never going to be any self-awareness on her part or desire to change on her part. So the only thing I can do is end this. But I've always kind of felt sorry for her whole life to some degree and felt like, well, she can't help herself and she's troubled and, you know, she needs me. And so I had to kind of stop that thinking and start thinking about what would be better for myself. And so to get myself to think about, like, how bad is this relationship for me? I started making a list of all of the reasons that I didn't want her in my life. And the list started with things that had happened recently. But the more I thought about it, the more things came back to me and the more like kind of traumatic childhood memories came back to me and the list got longer and longer and longer. And by the time I, I mean, it, the list was kind of an ongoing thing for months that I would just jot things down as they came to mind. But by the time I was through making that list, I wrote the list at the time thinking, I'll refer back to this if I'm ever tempted to get back into that relationship. But after I made that list, there's been no temptation to get back into that relationship. And there were things that uh, Meredith shared with me uh, off mic that uh, are pretty fucked up to to say the the least. Yeah. Just to just to give the listener a picture that that there is more that there's a cherry on top of this Sunday. <laughs> uh, like, for example, um, I mean, I could give you lots of them, but we could be here all day with that stuff. Um, I think just like a good highlight of like typical, like my mother's idea of being loving that I think any of us could look at and be like, that's not really an appropriate thing to say to your child. Um, I must have been about seven and I have a younger brother. He's about three and a half years younger than me. And she had seen this movie, Sophie's Choice, which I haven't seen. But apparently the plot of the movie is this mother has a son and a daughter. And it's Nazi Germany and the Nazis want her to give them one of her children to kill. And she decides to give them her son and keep her daughter. And so my mother explains this plot to me and says, I just want you to know that if I were in that situation, I would give him your brother because I couldn't live without you. And I think that that was meant to be a compliment, but... Obviously, it's a disturbing thing to say to a young child. Um, I mean, she told me the giving tree that Shel Silverstein book was an allegory for motherhood. So I, she had a very different idea about like what parent-child relationships are like than I think maybe more high-functioning parents would have. She, she sounds really, really sick. She is, and I try and have empathy for her as much as I can, but I also feel like I need to protect myself and... I would just feel like my blood pressure elevating every time I would see her number on my caller ID, and it just was getting to be too much. One of the most helpful things in my life learning in support groups was that you can have empathy for someone and not have contact with them. They are both possible. Right. And for me, I could only have really a lot of empathy for her once I didn't feel cornered by her in my life by cutting contact. Yeah, I think sometimes it's the only choice you can make when you have um, a family member or relationship with the person is so dysfunctional and so un not even unwilling, but just unable to change their behavior. Eventually, you just have to get out of there because it's not going to change. and It's just going to continue to make you miserable. Yeah. And it would be a different story if uh, she owned up 
took took ownership of the things that had happened and respected present day boundaries. That's the real reason. Yeah, I think that it will always be a combination of that never happened or you're making too big a deal out of it. Mm. And that doesn't really work for me. Mm. And the same behavior persists to this day. Um, you know, if I got her on the phone right now, she would, I mean, I don't even think we would hear, how are you? I think it would just be a screed of ways that she's suffered and she's aggrieved. Um, years ago, when my husband and I were you know, newer in our relationship and he would see how she would behave, he would say, well, why don't you call her out on this stuff? And I'm like, it's like talking to a wall. Like you yes. cannot call her out on this stuff. It's and like he, stepping into gum. Yeah. And he just kept pushing and pushing. Like, just try it. Just see what happens. Maybe she'll surprise you. And I like put on speakerphone and I said, here, watch this. And I went through and said, you know, why did you do this? Why did you do this? And it immediately turned into, well, you don't know how hard things were for me and how much I suffered. And it just became all about like how hard things are for her instead of even acknowledging like I did some things that weren't okay and I regret it and I should change my behavior. There was never any of that. Do you think that that it's a pattern of them in when I'm talking about the just kind of toxically sick parent that can't objectively see what the other person is experiencing? Do you think they are or have been since childhood in survival mode trying to avoid shame that felt like it was going to destroy them or they would be abandoned yeah i mean i think my mother had a terrible childhood i think her parents were also and that's how you get this way her parents were also very abusive but um i just think that there's a lack of self-awareness or an inability to be self-aware there and she just can't see that her behavior isn't normal i think even if i describe some of the stuff that we just talked about to her right now it would be a combination of either that never happened or it wasn't that big a deal yeah. I would even have experiences because I have this younger brother. He's three and a half years younger. So we grew up experiencing a lot of the same things. And, you know, years ago when I would go visit and see him, this was when I was probably in my 20s, he and I would talk about things that happened. Like, oh, she went on a date and left. I would must have been eight and he was five, left for like the whole night and came back the next day and just left me to watch my brother alone. And Adam and I were talking about this. And she's like, well, that never happened. Oh, so Adam and I are both remembering things that we both imagined your memory is better. Got it. <laughs> Yeah, it's it for me it comes down to not having a shared reality yes. with the person. If I can't share a reality with someone, I don't have a relationship with them because it's it's too frustrating and it's painful and it doesn't benefit either of us. Yeah, it's really crazy making and invalidating because you just continue to like deal with someone who's being unreasonable and there's never any acknowledgement on their part that they're being unreasonable or any effort to change their unreasonable behavior. At least like when a, my husband's being unreasonable, he can calm down and acknowledge I was being unreasonable and I'm sorry and I'm going to try and curb that behavior in the future and be mindful of it. There was none of that there. Yeah. And and I do believe with a lot of people that are sick, that is their reality. And, oh, I think so, yeah. And I think for many of them, and maybe this is letting some of them off the hook, they can't help themselves. And I often picture them as um, a child in an adult's body that is stuck in, in survival mode, and that helps me to not take it personally. Yeah, I don't think that she ever meant to do harm, even though she's done harm. I don't think it's intentional on her part. And I don't think there's any awareness on her part that she's done any harm. Um, and so it's just frustrating because at least when you're dealing with somebody that's a little more self-aware, they can see, I did something harmful. I need to not do that again. I need to make amends. If you're in a relationship with somebody that can't do that, you really can't have a relationship with that person. Anything else that you would like to share? Any things that you struggle with uh, today? 
Um, I mean, I think we touched on a lot of it. It's mostly um, the work stuff is really what is a challenge. Um, it's both like my favorite thing and the hardest thing in my life. You know, I find my work interesting. I'm never bored by it, but it also kind of takes over my life. And it's something I do think about 24-7 and obsess about. And that's probably not great. Um, and my husband, who is similarly wired to me, is kind of also brought into that crazy sometimes. Um, it helps that we're friends with some of the people that do what we do. So at least we have peers to like talk to about it but um i don't know sometimes i wonder because i i grew up in this very chaotic environment and i never wanted chaos growing you know as an adult i always thought to myself i'm gonna go and have a career and make real money and be able to support myself and not depend on anybody because people aren't dependable um and then i wonder like yeah i did that but did i create like a different form of chaos by picking this <laughs> professional life i don't know uh can you talk about um Autonomy over your body, um, I don't know, would you just say physical space, how you feel with that today and, and some of the outlets you have for? Yeah, I mean, I felt often smothered as a kid and like I didn't have a lot of um, agency, a lot of bodily autonomy, a lot of personal space from uh, people in my life. Um, I remember this one incident, I must have been like seven or eight when this happened, but um my dad insisted that I go and get my hair trimmed. I'd always had very long hair, and I feel like it was almost something he was doing just to like punish me more than anything else. Like, who cares if my hair gets trimmed or not? But I was so angry about this this stranger touching my hair and them feeling like they could control my hair for goodness sake. That um, as soon as we, as soon as I stepped out of the hairdresser's hair, I took every strand of hair on my head because the, the whole thing was like you have split ends. Took every strand of hair on the piece of my head and started ripping like the tips of the hair off. So by the time I was done, like I had shredded up like every bit of hair to basically like undo the that person touching the invasion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the whole time this was going on, I'm like, you know, crying and ripping my hair out. My mom is like, you're messing up your hair. And as an adult, I'm thinking like, if your kid is doing this over a haircut, you have bigger problems than their hairdo. Yeah. Um, but at the time, it's just like this was normal for me. Um, and so, yeah, I autonomy and personal space are kind of a big thing for me um the thing that i have found that calms me a lot is um, i got really into boxing as an adult and i know it doesn't sound like it would be a calming thing but it is strangely soothing to me um i just think that growing up in that kind of environment there's like a lot of anger that if you want to be, get along in polite society you got to suppress and you can only do so much suppressing before it leaks out in ways you don't want it to but having that outlet it's something where it could, some of that steam valve can be um, released without having to worry about hurting somebody, you know, really. Are there any moments that you can recall that kind of highlight that experience for you? With boxing? Yeah. Um, be with, it the first time that you experienced that or one particular day or um, a progression? You know, it was a progression. When I first started, I thought maybe I just wanted to hit a bag. I didn't know that I wanted to necessarily hit a person. Um, and my trainer, I love her. She's great. And she's taught me so much. But, you know, of course, I started with her just hitting mitts and hitting bags. And eventually, she did teach me how to spar. And when she first started teaching me, it just seemed so intimidating. I'm like, oh, I don't think I could ever do that. I don't think I could, like, actually hit a person. I mean, even though it's, like, in your head, like, I think everyone probably feels like hitting someone sometimes. The reality of actually taking a swing at somebody sounds uncomfortable. And, like, having her hit me sounded scary. But... It's something that she was able to introduce to me in a way that I wasn't too uncomfortable or hard to eventually get comfortable with it. And now um, it's something that I really like because 
it takes you out of your head so much. Like when you're sparring with somebody, all you can really think about is hitting them and not getting hit. You can't think about work. You can't think about an argument with your spouse. You can't think about anything because you will get hurt if you don't. Um, and so that's been really good for me. Um, there was this one, she and I um, both boxed at a park sometimes. And there was one time and it was um, like winter. So the sun went down early and it was after dark and she and I were sparring with each other. And I kind of saw out of the corner of my eye that these two guys were watching us and it was just me and her. And normally, if I was alone in a park with a girl after dark, I would think, oh, we're going to get raped and murdered. But in that moment, I was like, they're not going to mess with us because like, they see us wailing on each other. And if they come over here, that's probably not going to go well for them. And they, they didn't come over. But I just like that was kind of a turning point, I guess, for me, because I was like, oh, I do feel a little safer in the world knowing how to defend myself. And so you were you were hitting her. We were in, hitting in each other. We were sparring. So you're both misogynists. I guess so. <laughs> I think that's what I've taken from this. We're, we're both woman beaters is what I'm saying. <laughs> you, the listener has heard all they need to know. Uh, where can they troll you at? Um, you can troll me at iloveboardwalk.com. <laughs> uh, and boardwalk is B-O-R-E-D. Yeah. If you spell I love boardwalk with with either spelling, you will find us and you can troll away. Yeah. And that's where you can find the t-shirts for this here show. Um we have ones with a logo. We have uh, ones that's a, a picture of my late dog Herbert's face, and it says Saint Herbert. It's my favorite picture of him, and uh, and then some sayings from from the show. Um, anything else that you would like to share before we wrap up? Um, I can't think of anything. I feel like we we covered uh, a lot of fresh territory, and Good. Uh, thank you for being so open and honest and. Uh, and running a great business. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Meredith. Thanks. Love, love talking to her. Um, before before I send you home, before I send you on your way, hold on. Don't grab your coat yet. I've got two surveys I want to read for you guys. Uh, this first one is a shame and secret survey. This was filled out by a woman who calls herself Newt Newt. And she is... Uh, 18, she identifies as queer. She was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. From a very young age, I was hypersexual. One memory that sticks out, I was about four in a daycare. It was nap time and I was having a wet dream. When I woke up, I was moved to the other side of the room. I remember feeling a lot of shame after that. During my sophomore year, I started to have wet dreams about my mom. I would wake up feeling scared and ashamed. I told a doctor I trusted that I thought something might have happened when I was younger. She said she believed me and was so sorry. Being able to say that, even though I don't know exactly what happened, lifted so much of the shame I'd been carrying since I was little. Uh, she's also been emotionally abused. Both of my parents suffer from mental illness. My dad is a disabled veteran suffering from PTSD, bipolar depression, and trauma from his abusive father. My mom grew up in Colombia during wartime and saw both her parents get killed and is really mentally fucked up as a result. They've always put their demons on me, told me that they didn't want me. My dad blamed me for him being suicidal, etc. Wow. I've been pretty resilient despite this. I know that they don't really mean it. It just hurts not being able to trust people you love so very deeply. Any positive experiences with the abusers? I have unconditional love for my dad. He's my hero despite what he's done to me. He's such a tender person under all that toxic masculinity and just wants to save others to escape his demons. 
When I was about two, my aunt and cousins were escaping an abusive husband slash father, so my dad let them come live with us. My aunt started to pick up on some abuse my mom had been inflicting on my sister and I and told my dad he needed to get us out of the house. He loved my mom so much, but wouldn't let my sister and I be treated badly by her. He divorced the woman he cherished just to protect us, and I'll always be thankful for that. Darkest thoughts. And what a great example, too, of how complex not only people can be, but our relationships with them and how there can be so much dark and light at the same time. Uh, darkest thoughts. Occasionally, I wish I could just disappear. I've been hurt so much by my parents and they've disappointed me every time I've made myself vulnerable and give them a second chance to have a relationship with me. I don't have the nerves to kill myself, but sometimes I think it would be nice to just quietly go away and not feel like a burden or a nuisance anymore. And you know, my thought is just find people you can be vulnerable around and stop opening up to people that aren't safe. Uh, said the the pot to the kettle who waited until he was 40 (laughs) to do that. Darkest secrets. When I was in middle school, I was really fucking depressed. I lived in a rural town alone with my dad. I never got to see him. Didn't have any friends other than on the internet. My dad threatened to kick me out when he would get wasted. But anyway, my self-esteem was rock bottom, was suffering with an eating disorder. I ended up in a relationship with a 19-year-old guy. When I was a freshman in high school, he made the trip to come see me, and he raped me. I never told anyone because I felt like it was my fault. Looking back, I wish I could give younger me a hug. I was in so much pain, and I was desperate for anybody to give me affection. I'm so sorry that all that stuff happened to you, and it would be so so beneficial for you to find a support group of people not only that are safe for you to open up to but people who've experienced some of the stuff that you've experienced because that feels super super safe when when you find those people in your life and those become for many of us our family and it's so important to our mental and emotional survival to have some type of family and if it can't be genetic because there isn't that safety or very at the very least a shared emotional reality then create create one elsewhere and um you you are worthy of it yeah Uh, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I fantasize about having a normally alpha male become totally submissive to me, making him be tender and affectionate and not allowing him to penetrate me, but allowing him to eat my ass and worship me. Also, my biggest turn on would be a wealthy man being financially submissive to me and funding my college tuition in exchange for my panties and eating me out. I love, uh, by the way, and thank you for your... your, um, uh, candor and all of you, the the fact that you guys don't hold back in what you write, and while some people may find those details graphic, I find them um, uh, so much more than just that because they give us a peek into the specifics of the way our brain is reacting to the trauma, and for many of us, myself included. The details of someone's experience will be the thing that helps me feel less alone because I'll always tell myself, oh, yeah, but they don't also think about this. 
And then somebody in a survey writes that, and I think, oh, okay, I'm not, I'm not alone. Uh, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I wish I could tell my grandparents how much I appreciate them looking after me and taking care of me when my parents are being emotionally abusive. I love them so much, and I don't think they realize that, regardless of how much I tell them. Well, at least you're doing your part, though, and you're telling them. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish to find happiness and be able to love myself without having to have someone else love me first. I deserve to have love for myself. It's just really hard to believe that, when I've been told my whole life that I'm a waste of time. It is. It is so hard. Uh, have you shared these things with others? I've talked to my partner about a lot of stuff. He doesn't really say much. He just looks at me and says sorry with his eyes and then holds me while I cry it out. I feel so supported by him. He's my first healthy relationship. I feel so much guilt for not being in love with him. Um, you know, I... I don't know what to, to say about the feeling guilty about not being in love with him, but um, the the one thing I would say is never judge your emotions. Um, what we feel is what we feel. It's what we do with the feelings that, that matters. And um, people that tell you you should be feeling one way or another way um, are, are just wrong. They're just wrong. They're forcing their narrative on you. How do you feel after writing these things down? I'm not sure. I cried while writing a lot of it down. I thought it would make me feel a little bit better. Now I'm not sure it helped. I guess I just feel lonely and confused as to why I deserve the cards I've been dealt. You know, my opinion is it's it's not a matter of deserving. It's a matter of what are we going to do with the cards that we've been dealt? Because I spent years just... dwelling on the hand that I was dealt in some areas of my life because other areas it, it was great but the the real change happens in saying okay how how are we going to what are we going to do with this hand and uh setbacks can can be really uh a plus in the long run if we put our effort into looking at what is instead of daydreaming about what shouldn't be or might have been. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I want you to know that I am so proud of you. You're an anomaly. You got completely shit on, and despite that, you love endlessly. You got into the best art school in the country. You're moving to L.A. in a couple of months to start a new life. Things will get better. You'll find your people. You're going to take your pain and do amazing things for other people. And somewhere along the way, you're going to learn to love yourself. You'll be able to have sex without wanting to vomit on yourself or thinking about your mom or your rapist. You might have kids. You'll treat them the way you wanted to be treated as a child. You'll hug them, validate their feelings, and respect their boundaries. Things won't always be the same. You're just a young bean right now, bub. Be gentle with yourself and keep being smiley and goofy, you won't always hurt. That is so beautiful. That is so beautiful. Thank you for uh, for sharing that. And uh, shoot me an email when you, uh, when you get here. I have some suggestions for support groups that I think uh, you, could, you could really benefit from. And uh, finally, this is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Loveliness, and she writes, Summer morning, I'm on vacation, bathing. There's a breeze, trees and foliage through the window, 
Scented Epsom salts and a pain reliever are soothing the muscles I strained being sedentary too long yesterday, enjoying a podcast while coloring and feeling very artistic. I think about how this morning I've canceled my appointment to walk for exercise. Rather than feeling guilty or ashamed or just anxious, I realize I feel sublime, at peace, full of gratitude. Best of all, I realize that perhaps for the first time in my life, I like myself. I simply feel goodwill towards myself the way one does towards a good friend. Having been dogged for a lifetime by self-loathing, self-pity, depression, suicidal ideation, I no longer suffer. Only situational anxiety comes by occasionally, but I know how to talk it down. Years of cognitive and dialectical therapy with the right therapist, adding medication into the mix, no longer dominate me. I'd made peace, I thought, with my narcissistic father years ago, but when rage, a murderous hatred, came up in the wake of his death, it freaked me out. I sought out EMDR sessions, about six of them, during which I processed two traumatic events. So EMDR is the latest therapy that has helped me deny those memories any power. Hopefully that healing will show up in my professional life where the effects have persisted. I want to say to others, therapy and meds have been a godsend. They have helped throughout the last 10 years with increasingly obvious results. I also recommend bathing or any contact with water. In me, it it spurs release, hope, and creativity. On some days, when I wanted to leave the planet, it helped me stay. Thank you for that. And that's so funny uh, because, well, I don't know if funny is the right word, but... um, um, just yesterday, I was at the beach for the first time in, uh, and I'm taping this ahead of time, uh, for the first time in two years. And I just thought, why do I never come here and relax? It's 30 minutes from my house. But it took a friend coming in town f- for me to, to take care of myself. And it just, your, your, email, your uh, survey just reminds me of, um, we, we need to be proactive with doing nice things for for ourselves but it's so easy to fall into that rut of just uh getting into our routine and suffering through uh tough times i would bet that the fear of traffic <laughs> cuts 90% of experiences out of uh out of our lives I can't tell you how many things I would love to do, but then my mind pictures snarled traffic, and I go, I think I'll just sit on the couch and think about myself. Anyway, I hope you like this episode, and uh, right now I am out of the country. I recorded this ahead of time, and I cannot thank the people who support this show and the advertisers for helping out because I would not be able to go record non-American listeners if there wasn't some support of this show. And while we always do need more support, um, it's, I'm grateful that it was enough for, enough for me to, um, it's enough for me to pay, uh, pay my bills and, and once a year go meet some, some listeners outside of the States. And for that, I am extremely, extremely grateful. And, um, just never forget that you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.